0: Let's go to the first chapter of John this morning. The final section. It'll be John chapter 1 verses 35 through the end of the chapter 51. And if you're able, will you stand as we read the word of God? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come upon us, descend by the power of your spirit and provide for us understanding. Open our eyes, our hearts, our minds to your word, that we would see it, not just with human eyes, but with eyes that are empowered by the spirit eyes that are opened by the Spirit, a heart that is melted to the things of Christ, and a mind that will be focused upon you, that we might understand what it is that you call us to do because of these words here. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 1, verses 35 through the end. (coughs) Again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, And he looked upon Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. They came therefore and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. The next day he purposed to go forth into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. Now, we've been uh, challenged uh, quite a bit the last couple weeks in a sense of how to witness to the things of Christ. John the Baptist said very clearly, he says, I'm not the Christ, but there is the Christ. So he knew where to point people. He said, don't focus on me, focus on him. I'd simply baptize with water, he will baptize with the Spirit. And here it is, that in the beginning, in verse 35, again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now that's John the Baptist, his two disciples were Andrew and the guy who's never mentioned in the Gospel of John, because it's John himself. Okay, John never writes about himself, or you know, very, very seldom do we hear this. It's always the other disciple, and he's referring to himself here. And he looked upon Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So we have two followers of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist points to Jesus, and Jesus comes on the scene, and they leave John the Baptist. In fact, he encourages them to go. And they go and they follow Jesus. This is a a really a transition point in the ministry. In the first chapter, we've heard quite a bit about Jesus and his incarnation and and, 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 and who he is, and then John the Baptist, and all of a sudden, the in a sense the angle changes away from John the Baptist and over to Jesus and John the Baptist simply fades from view. Okay? We hear a little bit about him later but there's no more focus on John the Baptist. This is really the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ and his first two disciples were two disciples of John the Baptist, Andrew and John the author of this gospel. Now there's a reason why all of these verses are devoted to the call of his disciples. Okay, There's always a reason in scripture why those things are there. Whether it's the uh, genealogies which go on and on and on. Uh, those have a very uh, important function. Or whether it is simply the, the not quite mundane but straightforward the call of the disciples. Why is this important to us? Well, it's important to us because we see it in two aspects. We see in a sense, the human aspect of the call of Christ and the divine aspect of the call of Christ. So, John doesn't just say when somebody believes that so-and-so believed. What he says is that so-and-so declared that Christ is God. Remember the purpose of the Gospel of John. It is so that you will believe in the Christ and by believing you might have everlasting life, the, the 20th chapter of John. And we see this, in, as I said, in two aspects. First is, we could call it the, the seeking individual, okay, or the person who actually seeks out the Lord. And <clears throat> that goes back to the passages that we see before about knocking, seeking, asking. What happens when you knock and you seek and you ask? You remember the song, seek and you shall find. Ask and shall... ask and shall be a knock and the door shall be open, and love come tumbling down. Do you remember that? Somebody help me. Okay. You weren't singing. (laughs) Okay. But that's that's straight from scripture. And and how do we balance that with the call of the Lord that is placed on people's hearts? That is very clear. Nobody comes to the Lord except except the Father draw him. Well, here we have the example of that. Here we have individuals who are Following Christ, seeking out Christ, in, in, in not in and of themselves, but the other part of that is not mentioned. Let me read a little bit, verse thirty-eight. And Jesus turned and beheld them following, and said, "What do you seek?" And they said to him, "Rabbi," which translates teacher. Where are you staying? They didn't answer him. Okay. But whatever it was, they wanted to be with him. Why did they want to be with him? Because the Lord had already prompted their heart. Now, we understand nobody comes to Christ unless the Father draws him. That's very clear later in the Gospel of John. That is the same word that is used to get water out of a well. How do you get water out of a well? You what? You draw it up. Good answer. You draw it up. Okay. You take the bucket, and you get the bucket close to the water. And you, you, you encourage the water to, to jump in the bucket. Come on water, get, get, jump, jump. No, you don't do that. You take the bucket and you submerge it into the water and you pull that bucket up full of water. That's drawing water out of a well. Well, this, the Lord does the same things to us. He doesn't come along and say, oh, oh, please, please come and believe in me. I'm the sovereign God, the creator of all things. I know every hair on your head. I know every word before you speak it. Won't you please believe in me? No. He comes and he grabs us. Why? Because we are dead in our trespasses and sin. And he draws us unto himself. He prepares our hearts. He convicts us of sin. Our eyes are open to the grace of Jesus Christ. And he bestows that grace upon us in in great quantity. Flip over page the chapter two, verse twenty-three. Now there are those who seek the Lord whose hearts have been made. Uh, humble, whose hearts have been prepared, who who the Lord is already working in. And and we don't see any elaboration on that. We just see that they're seeking after Christ. Then there are the others who seek after Christ and those things for... I went too far. Uh, For um, I just told you one page. How many pages did I turn? Here we go. (laughs) Chapter 2, verse 23. Then there are those who seek after Christ whose hearts aren't right, okay? Whose hearts have not been prepared for the Lord, by the Lord. Verse 23 uh, of chapter chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs that he was doing. Man, look at what that guy is doing. Isn't that cool? He must be something. Let's go hang out. Paraphrasing. Let's go hang out with Jesus. So what they did is they believed because they saw miracles. But what did they believe in? Well, they believed in those signs. They believed in those miracles. They believed it was really cool what Jesus was doing. Look at verse 24. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men. He knew what their hearts were like. He knew that they were following him just because he was doing these signs and these miracles. Okay, And then that last verse, And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. He knew everybody's heart. He knew who was coming to him because the Lord had drawn that person, and he knew who was coming to him because of the miracles. Remember when he fed the 5,000? around the Sea of Galilee, and he fed them, and then he took the boat and went across the sea. Well, the crowd walked around the Sea of Galilee to get to the other side. Why? Because they were so enthralled with his words? That was a free meal, okay? And many within the crowd sought that free meal. They sought the bread that was only temporary, and he was the bread of life. He offered food that they would never hunger again, water that they would never thirst again, but they didn't see that. They sought only what would be temporary, only what would fill their temporary needs. So if you think for a moment and you say, well, I've, I've been searching after Jesus for a long time, and I just don't have any sense that he's, he's real in my life yet. And, and, and the, you have to examine your life and say, are you searching in a hypocritical fashion? Are you searching for only what Jesus can do for you? Are you searching with a heart that is selfish? Uh, maybe you think that he will will bless you financially, or maybe you think he'll get you a new job, maybe he'll get you out of the mess that you've gotten yourself into, and you're searching for those things instead of for Christ. See, Jesus is ready to receive a heart that is is honest, a heart that is prepared by the Lord, a heart that is humble. He that comes to me, Christ says, I will not cast out. All who are given to me, I will keep. I will lose none of them. But there's a distinction between those who seek Christ for their own selfish gain, as in this portion in verse 23, 24, and 25, and those who seek Christ because their hearts have been prepared. Andrew, as an example. John. Their hearts had been prepared by the Lord. And when they see him, they seek after Christ. They chase after him. It's when we hate our sin. When we've been stripped of our selfish ideas, when we've been uh, finally gotten to the point that we we understand it is not about us, it is about Christ, that is when our hearts are right. That is when the Lord opens our eyes. Now notice, in all these things, there's no mention of perfection. There's no mention of a full understanding of scripture, a full understanding of doctrine. There's no... Uh, mention here of knowing everything and being satisfied that you have all the answers. There's none of that. Christ says, "Come to me, believe upon me." He doesn't say get your answers first. He doesn't say get your life in order first. He says, "Come and believe upon me." Today's the day of salvation, and that's what Andrew and John do. They they don't have all the answers. They don't understand everything. All they know is that's the Messiah. See, remember what Andrew says to his brother? He goes and gets his brother and says, hey, I found the Messiah. Now, he didn't quite say it in that fashion. Okay, The first thing that he did, once he believed, once he had found Christ, he went back and got the most important person in his life, which was his brother, Simon. And what did he do? Did he say, Simon, I think... I think I found something important here. I'd like to give you a little, but let me take a survey of your religious beliefs and, and ask you a couple questions to see if, if you understand these things. Or, or um, you know, he doesn't do any of that. He says, I have found the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that the Old Testament, the one that the scriptures have promised us for generations. I have found him. You have to come and see him. And I can just imagine Andrew grabbing a hold of Simon. Okay, Simon was probably impetuous. Maybe he grabbed hold of Andrew and dragged him but they're running back to see who this is to see Christ to see the Messiah see Christ commits himself to the heart that is that is honest the heart that is sincere the heart that has been prepared by the Lord and maybe you can look back in your life and see how the Lord has prepared you to hear the message of Christ I remember um, after I became a Christian I kind of wrote a, a spiritual biography of the people in my life who had influenced me and, and the events in my life that had shaped me and gotten me to that point. I didn't understand it at that time, but it wasn't until after I received Christ as my Savior that I could look back and see how the Lord was preparing my heart. You know, there certainly were, were godly people who came into my life and, then there were, and who influenced me. Then there were ungodly people who led me into sin, and it was in the midst of that sin that I found that, man, I didn't like sin. That there must be something else. There must be another answer here that I am not finding in the midst of this sin. In the midst of what it looks like and sounds like fun. But it was just dragging me down. There must be something else here. And I saw how the Lord had used those events and those people to prepare my heart. That at the moment of his choosing I would hear the gospel and be forever changed. There were plenty of people in scripture they called Jesus Lord but didn't actually believe. As we saw, chapter 2, we saw in the feeding of the 5,000. Remember when Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and the crowds are waving the palm branches and they're throwing their cloaks down in front of them and they're yelling, Hosanna. How many in that crowd, four days later, were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Okay. See, we are fickle. And the hypocritical heart, the Lord knows that. He knows when we're being hypocrites. He knows those who actually believe, who have been prepared, and those who seek him only for selfish purposes. Now, have you ever asked yourself, what do you want out of Jesus Christ? What do you want out of Christ? Okay, Are there things in your list that you think, when you talk about the Lord, well, this is, these are my expectations for Jesus? If you want self-glory and, and and prestige, and power, and popularity, and money, and health. Christ doesn't guarantee any of those things. What does he guarantee? Guarantees things like love. A love that The world does not understand. He guarantees peace, a peace that passes understanding. He guarantees a joy that can never be taken. He guarantees a meaning and a purpose in our lives. He guarantees hope, assurance. He guarantees that once you understand that you are weak, then you will be made strong, empowered with something that is so far beyond who you are and what you can dream or imagine that you'll be able to do these things he calls you to. See, if you want those things, Christ can help you. He can provide those things for you. But we can't stop with the question of what do we want out of Jesus Christ. There's a more important question there. What does Jesus want from us? Hmm. What does Jesus want from us? I have a friend in Wilmington, North Carolina, who told me this story. I may have said it before, but it certainly fits the purpose. Red blood American young male went out and bought the beat up old Porsche 911, and he spent years working on it, restoring it. Now, Porsche 911. I've never driven one. I've read a lot about it. If um, in case there's any doubt, gifts of Porsches are tax deductible to churches. Okay. Um, Well, he spent a long time restoring this 911. It was an old 911 and the old 911s were a little twitchy, uh, hard to drive because the engine's in the back. Okay? And there's a lot of weight over that rear axle. Well he finishes it and it looks great. He hops in it and like any red blood American male he drives way too fast on the first time he's out. And he's in the backwoods of North Carolina zooming down the roads. and. One of the issues with the 911 with the engine in the back is is weight distribution. And if you go around a turn, you have to keep your foot on the gas because the weight is back there. If you take your foot off the gas, the weight of the car transfers to the front and the rear end goes and snaps right around. Well, he went into a turn, really didn't know this. You know, he's just happy to be out. And the rear end comes around and off he goes. My friend wakes up, still buckled into his seat. okay. So there's a little bit of the car around him and he's in a drainage ditch off to the side. And he looks up and there is a North Carolina state trooper. And, and I'm, I'm filling in details here on this one because he, he didn't elaborate, but you can just imagine. Here's a state trooper and all I can think of is Jackie Gleason and smoking the Bandit. Okay? <laughs> he's got his mirror sunglasses on. He's probably got a chew-in. He's got the driving gloves on. And my friend who's now, you know, he's in the seat, still buckled up, in the drainage ditch. His Porsche 911 that he's worked on for years is spread out over 300 yards of North Carolina rural highway. And the state trooper walks up, and this, he did t- say this. He said, this is a quote. He said, boy... You can imagine spits right there with his chew. It says, boy, the Lord must have something for you to do because you're still alive. (laughs) He said it didn't sink in at that moment. Uh, But he did remember it, that the Lord had spared him when he should have been dead. The Lord had spared him. So the question is, what does Christ want from him? Now, maybe you can look in your life. Maybe you can look back at times where the Lord has spared you. I mean, I can think of times where, uh, you know, it could have gone either way—not just necessarily death, but maybe arrest, maybe injury, um, maybe a, a different set of circumstances would have led me in a different way. But the Lord has laid out a path, and 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 here is the path. And now I'm right here. He says, "What does Christ want from me?" Okay, perhaps in your life, maybe in your. Younger days, you had your own Porsche 9-11, or whatever it was, that you went way too fast in it, or involved yourself in way too much, and you should be dead, and it's, boy, the Lord must have something for you to do because you're still alive. Or you have reached this point, and you look back in your life and say, I don't know how I got here. The path was a big snaky path that took me all these places, but yet here I am and the Lord has changed my heart. So the question is, what does Christ want from you? Hmm. You know the answer. Yeah, he wants everything, okay? <laughs> he wants everything from you. He wants all that you are. All that you are is to be laid at his feet. Now, what are the practical things? What are the, the, the pragmatic things? What does he expect from us? Well, the passage really that we're looking at is very simple. The Lord has called you, the Lord has drawn you unto himself, and the Lord has granted you salvation that you could never earn or never deserve, that he has done this for a purpose. He has done this for a purpose. Now, part of that purpose might be for you to be a teacher, or you to be a banker, or, or a lawyer, or something like that. But that's not the real call in your life if the Lord has changed your life then you are a Christian yes on the outside you might look like a lawyer but in reality once they part that thin veil they can see it's Christianity and you are called to impact the world for Christ now it might be in your family That you are called only to your family. It might be to your neighborhood. It might be to the community as a whole. It might be to those people who walk into your office, walk into your classroom. That you are Christ to them. And that's the only Christ they're going to see today. The only Christ they're going to see this week. And that's the work the Lord has called you to. That's what he places before you. What does Christ want from you? He wants you to be his hands. He wants you to be his feet. Andrew runs, gets his brother, says, I found the Messiah. And he drags him off. He says, you are the Christ. John chapter 15. Let's turn over a couple pages. We see the next person kind of switches gears. Not only is it just uh, those who seek and whose hearts have been prepared, we also see those who simply have their hand put on them by the Lord. Lord says, I found Philip, and Jesus said, follow me. We don't hear any more. Hey, Philip follows. We don't hear any great elaboration on how he is changed forever. We simply know that Philip follows. Why is that? Chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This is the other aspect of of salvation. We have those whose hearts have been prepared, but they come seeking. And then we have those who simply are grabbed by the Lord, maybe out of the midst. They're, They're not particularly seeking. Maybe you came to Christ, you weren't even interested in the things of Christ. Maybe you weren't even uh, looking for answers, but you were somewhere, and somebody shared the things of Christ with you, and it's as if the Lord simply grabbed hold of you and said, follow me, and you said, of course, I have to. I don't know what it is. I don't have the answers. All I know is that this is true, and I have to pursue it. That's the way the Lord works sometimes. That's the divine side. The, the magnetic power of God, when He calls us, we cannot deny it. When He calls us by name, He breathes new life into us. We were dead in our sin, and He gives us life. Nathanael, back in chapter 1, said, we have, uh, Philip says to Nathanael, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael c- kind of. With derision, says, could anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see, Philip says, come and see. Nathanael shows up, and Jesus said, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. How do you know me, said Nathaniel. Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. There's the divine portion. I saw you. The Lord knows your heart. The the Lord knows where you have been. He knows what you have been through. And yet he extends his grace to you and calls you by name. What can Nathan say? How did he know I was under the fig tree? How did he know this? He must be what? The son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus, I, I read into this a little bit, but almost with with a sense of don't get too wound up yet because you haven't seen anything. He says, because I said to you that you saw into the fig tree, do you believe? He said, you shall see greater things than this. You shall see greater things than this. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, in, in the first chapter... Of John, we have seen the titles of God: the Word, the Light, the Lamb, Son of God, Rabbi, Messiah, King of Israel, culminates here in Nathaniel's uh, declaration of who Christ is. But he says, there's more to come. There is more to come than what you have seen here. And he lays out for him this vision. This is a vision taken out of Genesis chapter 28. and Jacob's dream, he sees this ladder and the angels, angels are ascending and descending. It is fulfilled in, to some degree here in Christ, but there is also another fulfillment. It is the fulfillment when Christ returns. He said, in this time you will see the Son of Man descending in the clouds. This is the return of Christ. So the ultimate fulfillment here for Nathanael is in the second coming of jesus christ we have to remember that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the spread of the gospel of christ there is nothing that can stop it now we as individuals we may have in our own hearts you might say well i have uh you might know that you wrestled with christ and you ran away from him and finally he had to come and get you and drag you in a sense almost kicking and screaming to faith But yet, he would not be denied because he is the sovereign Lord. And if he chooses you, you will believe. The gospel cannot be stopped. We have to ask ourselves, well, if we're here, if he has done these things in our lives, what does he want from us? So that's the question I want you to chew on. What does Christ want from you? Let's pray. Lord, these men, Andrew, John, Philip, Simon, Nathaniel, they weren't anything special. There was nothing there that drew Christ to them. They didn't have any special talents. They were fishermen and laborers. and Nothing really outstanding in the world's eyes. But yet, it was Christ within them that made them different it was the power of the Holy Spirit within them that enabled them to do so much more than they ever thought the church in the first sixth century simply exploded because they knew who Christ was and they told others about him they went and dragged the people that they loved by the arm and said come and meet Christ this is too important not to go and get the ones that we love this is too important to keep it to ourselves we have to share these things for this is the truth the world must see these things lord you work through these regular individuals in such a powerful way we think okay here we are we're educated we have gifts we have abilities but are our hearts broken enough before you? Do we rely enough upon you and don't rely enough upon the things of the world? and Put them aside. Do we have hearts that are completely broken before you, unselfish and ready to be used, hands and feet and mouths and all that we are, for the declaration of the gospel, the furthering of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? See, that's the distinction, Lord, that you make. There are those who have abilities and those whose hearts are yielded to you, who you empower. Once we realize that we are weak, then we can be made strong. Lord, in all that is laid before us, remind us of your calling that you do not call us for no reason but you impart salvation to us that we might work for your glory and your kingdom. Help us to examine this week the question, extremely personal, what does Christ want from me? What does Christ want from me? For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Our hymn is 428, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy. Let's stand as we sing 428.